Welcome everyone to the Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. A man fights with his mouth when his fists are lacking. The Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 108, The Blessing of Many Fractures, is brought to you by the new Rand Espresso Machine. There's a lot you can buy when you get rid of $200 million of dead sibling weight. Pete, before we jump on here, as we uh, as we hit episode 108, the all-important 108, I want to remind our listeners, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returns tomorrow night to ABC, at least here in these United States. That means that the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast returns on Wednesday. Uh, of course, we'll be back with more Iron Fist on Friday. Also want to mention that uh, we had, of course, announced on Twitter and Facebook, we're doing a Rogue One giveaway. Uh, if you follow us and you have retweeted uh, the uh, the message about that contest, you are entered. You could be a new follow, an old follow, whatever it might be, giving away a digital code to download uh, Rogue One. And that's going to be announced right after the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. live tweet. So if you're listening to this, you probably have, well, at least listening to this once it drops, you probably have about 24 hours to act on it. And uh, good luck, one and all. Gotten a bunch of new followers to both locations. Again, everybody who uh, retweets uh, on Twitter or uh, likes the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash fantastic geeks going to be eligible, but you got to be in it to win it. Time to step inside the dojo and deconstruct this episode. Our teaser, Matt, begins with Claire reading uncensored inmate mail. <whistles> Sent to Claire Temple, 588 West 147th Street in New York, New York, Matt. A real address. I have looked it up. Uh, and so apparently for the second time, uh, Luke Cage being the last, they have published... Uh, real info, um, the the phone number that ran on uh, Scarf's phone uh, that a bunch of people called. Oh I yes, I forgot about that. Yes, myself included in a in an episode, you know, in the seven eight nines of Luke Cage, um, and got on the phone with uh, one of the Luke Cage people. Uh, this is a real address, <laughs> so. Uh, anything anything not, there of note? Podcasts uh, denounces anyone uh, going there, throwing a pizza on the roof, or doing anything else like that. <laughs> so true. It is nice, of course, to get that Luke Cage moment. Um, though, for my money, Claire entered this series a little uh, with a little uh, lacking of trajectory. Uh, she, of course, had taken the Colleen Wing uh, dojo info at the end of Luke Cage. Um, but I like that this can be standalone if you're just watching Iron Fist by itself, which if you are, come on. I mean, Iron Fist, we have a, we have a lot less complaints than the average schmoes out there, but Iron Fist ain't Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, or Daredevil. Um, but uh, it's nice that this can narratively stand on its own while also being kind of like a Luke Cage update. Um, Danny, at this point, calls is calling her to say that someone may be after her. Uh, and she needs to call him or Colleen ASAP. And uh, at this point, Claire exits the shower and is grabbed. Tension of tension, Pete. Do we go to the title card there? 
No, it is <gasps> Colleen, that very same hand with a knife that had grabbed her phone earlier. Uh, Danny said over the message there that uh, she needed to get to her mom's. Um, and uh, uh, Colleen tells her to uh, to be quiet. They prop a chair under the door. Um, Danny then uh, is in the penthouse. He has... Uh, you know, slid around the the corner. He noticed the uh, iPad that um, Harold had been using, looking at the financials, the company financials. And um, he slides around a corner. The elevator chimes, and it is Ward. Danny jumps him. He has uh, bags, shopping bags, in his hands here. Um, we know where Ward is coming from. That being, of course, from dumping his father's body after dumping Vando and uh, the other Alexi, guy, was it? Alexi. Yes, talky guy uh, at the beginning of the previous episode. And though that tension kind of works at the same time it doesn't kind of work here where's dad oh i think you should sit down because i just saw the big blood puddle you shouldn't look at that oh so i should go over there and react to it and then bend down to it oh okay <laughs> what did he I, run out of chia seeds i i disagree to me this scene worked we have ward of course showing up a little strung out, a hair just a little out of place. Um, I like that they're talking at cross purposes. Danny wants to prepare his de facto big brother uh, for the gruesome scene, courtesy of the hand, and Ward under the surface is, of course, scheming, trying to cover it up. I wondered at this point, Pete, if maybe he was, in fact, scheming to place the blame on Danny instead. Um, we also get Danny laying out a rather naive plan. He's going to smash Gao's operations, and that'll be the end of it all. And uh, Ward instead reframes it as breaking a few test tubes and hoping that Gao would take her ball and go home. Uh, Ward calls Danny a cancer and tells him to stay away uh, from the remaining Meacham clan. So Ward getting some, uh, some double duty here out of the tragedy. Uh, Danny leaves, and Ward finally unpacks his shopping bag, bleach and cleaning supplies pete i've seen enough csi to know that you always use bleach to clean up blood when you've killed someone because it's something epithelial dna gil grissom no computer searchy find you <laughs> and in the title card we go uh we get a nice view of the skyline oh, wait whoa, whoa pete you're you're missing something that was great from the the title sequence this is a kevin tancheroan joint it is a Kevin Tantarone joint, hence the uh, the fighting theatrics, the action in uh, Anjou that in no way, Matt, in no way whatsoever resembles um, the outer boroughs of New York City. In no way. Pete, everybody knows that the outer boroughs of New York City look like, insert Chinese place. <laughs> um, but you can tell Pete later on in the episode it actually is China because all the signs are in Chinese. So you need to watch carefully there. But but Pete, take us back to Danny. Danny is going to China, Matt, on the iPad there. He's got a picture of the factory, okay, of Anjo. 
that's where they were headed, recapping from the previous episode, where the plane crashed 15 years ago. His father never visited foreign sites. Um, so it was obviously something that uh, the show doesn't either. But um, I- important that he must have suspected something, possibly the heroine. Um, maybe, uh, Gao found out, uh, was, was onto them, uh, did something to the plane. Uh, all that Danny knows is that she punishes those who try to fight her. Here's what I don't get about Danny's logic here. And let me preface this by saying, you know, Danny's not a, a, a narrator, but Danny's kind of an unreliable narrator of these events in that. He's proposing the dad was going to check on the nascent start of this heroin trade at Anzo. Um, Anjo. Anjo. You're you're like Claire. (laughs) I apologize. Here's my point, though. It's kind of like it's a little too much hand of the writer to be like, dad heard about the hand's heroin and then he died. And then he had to check about the heroin himself with his entire family. And and look now, Pete. I don't know how long it takes to build a synthetic heroin empire, but like then nothing happened until Danny showed up in town, and within a few weeks later, there were sexy sirens peddling their synth heroin around synth. town. Like it, it's all like so. Nothing with this whole heroin thing happened the entire time Danny was away. I don't get it particularly when in theory you could go back and go oh well if if indeed this is the case maybe in future episodes we'll find out it wasn't or whatever but this kind of has this the feeling of this is all that they're going to explore for this and if that's the case then you certainly could have gone back and in prior episodes been like hey there's been weird reactions to heroin in the last year in the last six months did you see that article in the bulletin like you could have just planted this peppered the story rather with supposed stuff ahead of time so when you get here you go yeah i don't know i guess it was before danny got there it's not hand of the writer so i don't know i i just feel like this is all very very convenient we've had the heroin connected to this anti-heroine matt ever since we've seen madame gao two years ago on uh the first season of daredevil um the the blind uh uh, people uh, pushing it, carrying it all over the city. Uh, the deal she had. With yeah, but was that like the new synthetic the heroin? It was. It was not. So now to bring that in, I don't know much about the heroin trade other than heroin opiates in particular. Right now, particularly where we live, are very problematic because it's like super pure right now and. There's the the complication of the the it's not an antidote but a potential reversal in Narcan and there's been controversy there that are people chasing a greater and greater high because there's a potential safety net. In fact, people have uh, OD'd, been Narcaned, uh, gotten out of the hospital, and OD'd again. Um, and but you know, that's, that's that. But, um, I don't know how long it takes to find a synthetic option that you don't need to harvest the, uh, actual poppy when you can just make your own. 
Uh, so maybe 15 years. Who 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 knows? I just think the story is wonky from the standpoint of I'm I'm not going to send people I trust. You know, being one of two lead billionaires in this giant company that has now dealings in China. Uh, I'm also going to bring my wife and my son because I can't leave them with someone to protect them because maybe something could go on. I don't know. We still don't know at the end of this episode what is the connection. That's why he takes Gao at the end, obviously, to uh, flush out what is going on there with Wendell Rand. There's a bigger Wendell Rand storyline in the comics with uh, Kun Lun. But, uh, yeah. It, Just one more thought, Pete. With you mentioning this real-world opioid addiction problem, shouldn't it feel... Shouldn't the threat of heroin feel a little bit more threatening in this show? I, I continued, as you were talking, I continued to think back to the beginning, and I'm not making a joke here. This is me being 100% serious. I kept thinking back to the beginning of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie where it's just crime wave, courtesy of the Foot Clan versus the Hand, etc. And it, it, just in a couple of scenes, it's, you know, with lousy lighting with news reports giving us exposition you just get this sense of theft happening everywhere the city the the, the city weighed down by this this uh this evil of theft i don't feel like manhattan is sparkling any less under the the risk of heroin in iron fist it would have been nice if we got more than one junkie for all of this to really hammer home boy heroin is bad other than it's obvious badness but if we had i mean you think of you think of malcolm and jessica jones who was there personifying uh the 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 cycle of addiction and the inability to break out and so on and so forth where's that here well what is the goal with the heroin matt is what i would ask and this is not to hint at future episodes that i've seen but this is a source of revenue. Um, that and the fact that heroin is traditionally a, a boogeyman for this is bad drug thing you shouldn't allow to proliferate that people take once and get addicted to. And here they've handled this, you know, I think very well in terms of putting that across, not in a in a judgmenty way, but just in a cautionary way with Ward. So I, I think it's worked okay, there. Okay. But but what's not worked, I, I agree with you, is you know, the the timeline and, and everything that's that's gone on with that. But they're going, Matt. They're heading there, or at least Danny is. He's going alone, isn't he? Absolutely, except Claire, the voice of reason, uh, says that she's gonna go too. By the way, Colleen is gonna go as well. Pete, I'm so glad that these leading ladies are going along for it. Um, Claire reminds them that the hand is a source of incredible fear. She kind of also has her hands on her hips at this point. Maybe not, I don't know, slight incongruity there, whether it's acting or shot choice, whatever it might be. But regardless, she says that she's joining the pair to grab Go, a gal, and she's going to go, and they better take her. Well, you know with everything that happened to her hospital, to her friend, Louisa, 
she wants to be part of this, but Danny doesn't really have a plan. And that's the biggest issue I have with this episode. He's his plan is to track down and take by surprise and grab her to which Colleen says, grab her. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she, she and they discuss, you know, he doesn't know what, if he's going to give Gao to Chinese authorities or to Interpol or the NYPD after a long flight. And if you don't want to come, then don't come. Gosh, he's just, he's tempestuous here, which is part of the character and okay. But here's the flip side. I think that we, as the audience, are supposed to identify with either Danny or Colleen as the male and female lead. And I have a little bit of a difficult time identifying with somebody who still is acting like he is lacking the social graces of a grown-up and i get why he lacks the social graces of a grown-up but it's this a little is him difficult. at his danny randiest yes his dannyest i don't know if we can say randy pete that might but <laughs> it, it, it it's it's little boy danny here and it's just kind of like and listen i have no problem being on colleen or claire's side of things pete i say you know that wing temple 2020 for the white house but <laughs> Again, it's, just, it's this weird place where it's like, hey, you have superpowers and you don't have a plan. And it's not because you're 16 and go to Midtown High School. You don't have a plan because you just don't have a plan. But it's a long way, Matt. He'll figure it out before they get there. Sorry. Sorry. Which seems like a refrain in this episode. And, and I have to say that the Danny in this episode is, is the worst to this point in this series. Pete, you're surely not suggesting that if he gives a half-hearted apology that that'll be accepted by the audience at large. And just, just allow him with his blonde hair to act with his hand any way he wants. Speaking of apologies, Matt... Joy Meacham is wearing a visitor badge inside the company that her father helped to build. Indeed, Pete, there are two visitors ready to meet with Lawrence. It's Ward and Joy Meacham. Their severance is going to be $100 million each. Side note, I totally love that Joy is about to give a principled push towards what is best in the world. Anytime Rand Corporation wants to give me $100 million to buy my silence or kick me out or whatever, peace out, Cub Scout. Anyhow, but I digress. Um, if they sign, that sever, uh, sign for that severance, they're going to even get their boxes of office knickknacks back. There's irreplaceable pictures of mom and dad because in no way could we have had them scanned at any point in the last, <laughs> you know, 10 years. Um Anyhow, Ward sees the number as ironic. That's what they offered Danny. Yeah. And Joy is already planning on being on the other side of the table. Pete, if she doesn't end up on the other side of the table booting Lawrence out of the office, then that will be poor writing setup. Um, she does mention, however, that the public perception of Danny's uh, benefit to the company has outweighed the perceived monetary losses. She's thinking OTB, Pete, outside the box. Meanwhile, Ward is increasingly seeing blood all over his cuff and hands. The deal, we're told, is non-negotiable. They both sign or they get nothing. 
Uh, Ward spacing out. Joy snaps him back. They want a moment alone. Um, he had asked for a pen. He didn't think pencil, Matt, was legally binding, but uh, he's ready to sign. She is not. He calls it the Fort Knox of gold parachutes or nothing, making it an obvious decision. Uh, and she wants to know how many back pills he's taken today. Pete, I'll give some credit to the writing here. First of all, as you said, great line about the pencil not being legally binding. Um, somehow this show keeps making me argue for the, the Meachams and their views of how to run this giant evil company. Um, but I'm with Ward here 100%. Take the golden parachute. Pete, do you realize with $200 million and like some meetings at Silicon Valley, they could be back on their feet in six months. You know, they want to, they want to dump some of that in a, in a pre-existing um, venture, you know, maybe a podcasting duo, support them financially, <laughs> whatever it might be. They could be seeing money back real soon. I, I mean, again, bottom line, I feel like it's so much money you can set up your own company for $200 million and, and make a good go of whatever. Um, I, is, I appreciate Joy's principled argument that she well, wants to stick with the company, which is theirs, but it's Danny rubbing off on her though. She points out that Ward was fighting like a rabid animal previously to prevent Danny from taking control. Now just ready to give it up. Ward counters with a story about the summer they spent with dad the last summer they spent with dad in the, in the hamptons. hamptons yes don't we all pete <laughs> which is super relatable matt remember <laughs> when you went to your family's exclusive home in one of the most exclusive beach uh side zip codes in the world as far as real estate is concerned and wanted to run a horse farm i wasn't as down on this story until you just reminded me that it's in no way relatable to 99 percent of people out there and it makes me think further fine somewhere in the hamptons they were a rich family that's kind of that that to me that's the least offensive the, the less offensive part of the story because they're rich and we all dream we all dream of the big house beat in the hamptons but what did she want to be back then a horse breeder couldn't you have said be a vet? I mean, doesn't didn't everybody want to work with animals at some point? Even if you were five and it was just petting a dog and you're like, some people get to pet dogs all day and like tell people how healthy their dogs are. This is great. You know, his, his the use of, being the, a vet, but. of the memory, though, tips, tips the balance of the scene in her favor. And I think that's meant to be the way ultimately she fights it. She blows this off. She's She's got this edge we've repeatedly seen. She blows this off. I was a 12-year-old. It was a stupid daydream. Um, and he comes back to knowing what we know of hap has happened, that it was dad's prescribed life for them um, that he wishes they could get out from under, that their inheritance is obviously tied here, but we know that she wants to fight this. Ward just wants to take the money and run, of course, you know, having killed his father and all. It's a chance for him and her to write their own destinies. And then she goes on 
And I think it works here talking about, you know, she had just gotten out of law school. No one at Rand took her seriously. Every right not to that she worked her fanny off, Matt, for want of a better term. Um, and part of her wants to stay there because of the connection to her father, but also what she's achieved. Can't wait to see, Matt, what she will do to try to keep it. Uh, indeed, she notes that she didn't have the respect of her peers when she started working there and uh, didn't take to the business the way Ward did. Exactly, says Ward, who's not listening, because uh, clearly she's midway through the tale here. She reaffirms that she's grown into the job, grown into the respect of her peers, grown into being a part of Rand. Um, however, she she would potentially consider the buyout. And there's there's a handshake. And that's when Ward sees the damned, damned spot of blood on his hand. Out, out, damned spot. Um, I wonder what influenced that the conclusion of that scene, Pete. <laughs> We cut, though, to the executive jet on the way to China, which, again, this didn't occur to me too much while watching this, but now I, don't I think definitely... think it's the executive jet, Matt. It you couldn't think... have been, given that he's been ousted at this point. That's a private or charter. Pardon me. Pete, I know that, I know that people like you have the 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 ability to tell the difference between an executive jet and a private jet Listen, i think for gonna, most we, of are us are you gonna tell the story of of how my family had planes growing up <laughs> no but i i don't think they were quite executive jet level because i'm the relatable one matt on the podcast people <laughs> hear you with your your golden pipes there they're like oh obviously this guy came from from money he's 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 not relatable like old Pete. And you're, you're trying to spoil that, right? That, that you know, my family and I uh, packed into uh, the family plane and, and flew to Nantucket. Every word of what I just said is true. <laughs> Pete, I like to think that we are both the relatable one, much like uh, Nelson and Murdoch, Abogados at law. Regardless, though, when I said executive jet, I didn't mean, how about this? Cut to the private jet on its way to china and it's a jet set that looks suspiciously like a redress of the flashback jet um could we maybe just have thrown like a different coat of paint on there just to be like look it's white not gold like the other one because the there other are one actually companies that do this there's one in california there is one um in new york they have uh interior plane sets and they rent them out you come and shoot at them Agreed, but if you need two different jets for the course of your show, it's not. How about this? It's not the fault of the jet set people, but <laughs> like, the jet, like not the jet set, but the jet right. set people. <laughs> the shouldn't you make it look different? Is my point. And I understand there's only so many ways to make an executive jet look different. Where that you're just using as an executive jet. It's not Austin Powers with the spinning bed, or it's not. You know, you don't have to have a fighter explosions in there, but. Can, can we change the lighting a little bit just so it's not the same that it's not making that when he looks at the panel, when we do a point of view shot of the, 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 the top panel of the ceiling there from which mom was pulled out 15 years ago, that it doesn't look, it doesn't feel identical. I will, will admit I have not done a Zapruder shot by shot comparison, but come on, man, you know, this is an episode that looks a whole lot better on the page than it does on the screen. I feel like that's occurring as our analysis happens. Not that we're 
not that we're out to you know to to bag on the show it's just like that's what's happening as we as we discuss this episode is it's it's ticking down a little bit um regardless though pete let, let, let's interrupt this because there's turbulence and danny's gonna rip uh grip not rip <laughs> grip the armrests uh claire teases him about his old school ipod playlist um claire asks what's going on with him and uh miss thang uh the latter is of course snoozing on the jet couch or at least uh, presumably i don't know pete there's probably some special name for the jet couch like the the poop deck or something like that i don't know <laughs> But uh, Danny didn't have a couch. <laughs> Danny says because uh, he had like a whole a whole bedroom suite downstairs or something. Um, he says a gentleman never kisses and tails. Claire says he looks like he um, got some. What I have the biggest problem with in the scene is not the recap Luke Cage stuff. Oh, you know you've read that letter three times. Uh, decidedly not feminine handwriting oh good he'll be glad to hear that that that's good stuff because we want to see the luke cage iron fist you know batman boy wonder team up that's coming into defenders that's the thing that's why a lot of people are slogging through the iron fist matt um he's presently unavailable we don't get the the full story there that's fine what is problematic in this scene is that he tells her (laughs) that he's just spent the last 15 years learning to control his body his mind and emotions and then what does he not do matt he doesn't control his emotions at the very least and partially his body and certainly not his mind for the rest of this episode And I understand it as a human. You are back in the position where you lost your parents, uh, that you come up against irrefutable proof that this woman who has infested your company is uh, selling poison and connected in some way nefariously to your father. Yes. But – Again, I think the 15 years of training from the monks that he saw once that made him feel very peaceful to to pull out of this turbulent episode here. Um, and by the way, can can we call nonsense on the pilots from a plane that broke up landing in one piece? Uh, I would like to call nonsense on that. I would also like to call nonsense, Pete. You a couple times have referenced the 15 years, which is absolutely how long he was away. I made note in my notes that he says he spent 10 years learning to control things. I'm actually checking the episode now with the sound off, of course. It it struck me as an, an extremely incongruous moment of, was it 10 years or 15 so uh, I'll, I'll let you know once I find out the answer for that. But Pete, I feel like we are discovering cracks here and there in this episode. Indeed. Well, Pete, apparently I can't control my mind at the very least, perhaps my body and soul and everything else. Sure enough, he does say 15 years. So I take back that concern right there. Pete, that's how we, that's how we make sure it's not the fake news. We research as we go. Um, Anyhow, with all this control he has, Pete, and you mentioned how he's going to be losing control, he still might, you know, find out that it's okay to maybe kill Gao since he's the Iron Fist and has to protect Kunlun against the hand, which, again, I kind of get from, like, bratty boy Danny, but it's a weird nuance that 
I suppose, or is it? But it's this weird nuance that he's holding himself up to this highest high, but then isn't prepared to live it. Putting him and juxtaposing um, bratty, fresh Danny and scared child Danny does not work here. Um, he could have been played far more sympathetically. Uh, and here where, you know, I, I said this episode is stronger on the page than on the screen. I don't think this, th this is the least well-written portion of this episode. You know, we've, we've talked in previous podcast episodes, how we've, we've gotten a little too much on the, the, the jet sequence here, the biggest reason why this needs to be shown is to show the pilot's bodies and the strange black vein uh, marks that they have so that later when Danny gets the axe in the guy and instantly these marks form, we can put two and two together. Um, but yeah, it it's not the strongest that we've seen in this series. In this scene here, there's also some debate about the sanctity of life versus the needs of uh, the many and killing the one gal. Uh, then the turbulence starts up again. Claire says it's normal. And Danny talks about his mom. Well, his mom. Well, it's kind of like a mom-mom hybrid. But anyhow, he, he speaks about his mother. And Pete, just in case you don't remember the two or three flashbacks of the crash... <laughs> Danny describes it with words, so we tell, not show. Then we flash back to the bodies of the pilots, show, not tell. Uh, we see the iPod, we see Dad's body, and the monks. So just in case you're, you weren't clear on the whole crash thing, uh, there you go. Claire tells Danny he's as safe now as he was with those monks, and that seems to calm him tremendously. So at least we have that to end the scene and take us back to New York City. Yes, where uh, Lawrence the putts is putting, Matt. Ward enters. How'd he get up there? Well, he's not universally despised in the building, at least not yet. Um, and there's going to be some changes to their security personnel, Lawrence ports out. But uh, he Ward wants a minute of his time there. Uh, he wants to discuss that uh, he and Joy are in an impasse. He's ready to sign. She wants to fight. He wants a separate severance from her um, and uh, at a significantly lower rate. He's ready to negotiate rather than the 100 mil. He'll take a cool 30. He'll sign. You'll never see him again. He knows that Lawrence will have to eat some crow with the board so uh how's a half million to wash that crow down with frosty this scene by the way uh taking place in lawrence's office it definitely it's, appears to be a redress of danny's office no that, i think that's in, completely intentional that it is down to the table where gao had put the um the flower the uh the plant this this is the very same office and and pete you beat me to the punch there maybe it is outright meant to be danny's former office lawrence really does seem to be that kind of guy who is gonna you know be happy to take over take over that space so well listen jessica jones has taken a really confusing photo of him uh actually his was the least confusing photo but that it's him and a police car, but no cop. 
amongst the other completely non-contextualized photos. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. All this work, and Lawrence has some news for Ward. There is no deal anymore. The two siblings were tied together. She has said no. Turns out now Ward has nothing. And Pete, Tom Pelfrey's cool Don Draper act melts away, revealing Ward as someone who is still worn out and spent. That meant as nothing but compliment for the pride of Howell, New Jersey, Tom Pelfrey. Lawrence comes off here a little oddly. He says that their father would have been ashamed. He envied the way they worked together as a team. And, oh, yeah, I'm not going to give you your money. Uh, Indeed, he thought that Joy and Ward looked out for each other. Uh, He's disappointed to learn that they, in fact, could not help each other. With that, Pete, we cut to what still somehow suspiciously looks like Queens, where the show has its sound stages, but actually is China. And it's in the middle of the day, just like in New York, because that's how the solar system works (laughs) and basic principles of gravity. You look through binoculars at um, some some brick face structures and it's, you know, quasi industrial China. I'm more okay with that, given that we know they actually didn't go to China to shoot warehouses. So if there's some shine taken off there, okay, fine. It's all a big pretend thing. People dress up and put on makeup and practice their words. It's all pretend. Only Nixon can go there, man. (laughs) But the fact that they're intercutting between daytime in New York and daytime in China, to me, that's a bigger problem because here's how you solve it. Cut to China, factory, night. Yep. Cut to New York, day. Return to China night. Like, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's a night shoot. It costs a little bit more money. Where would it be cheaper to shoot night, Matt, uh, or or to get the impression across? How about New York? And then you make it day in China, you know, because it's ahead. Yeah. And frankly, wait, aren't these New York? Hold on one second. Let me just check my notes here. Lawrence is inside the office. Mm -hmm. Lawrence is inside the office. Last time we were in New York was still Pete. They just could have made, they could have made the Rand Company set at night, assuming they have a backdrop yeah. that can be lit for nighttime. Of course, that's what I was saying. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So, um, look, if you want to find proof of some sloppy storytelling, there it is. All literally, I mean, New York City is the number two uh, film and television production location in the united states surely they can get someone to paint a duplicate backdrop that's nighttime or paint it in nighttime colors i don't know how they do that switch if it's with lighting or whatever but pete if fraser could do it out his balcony we can surely do it for the little portion of sky seen outside of lawrence's office so shame on you guys for making me think about what time of day it was as you cut to a warehouse in queens where you put up chinese signs well, Claire, she doesn't know what time of day it is because she's <laughs> passed out in the back passenger side of the SUV. Danny sees two guards kick a uh, homeless beggar out um, and uh, says that waiting is hard. Uh, Colleen, thank God, adds some adult dialogue to this discussion. 
uh, talks about how she saw her mother die when she was a child. She Only she didn't know it at the time. Her father was not great with people. One day she was just gone and she did not know what had happened. Years later, uh, she realized that she had been sick. And it was after this that her father sent her to live with her grandfather in Japan. But she always felt kind of, and Danny finishes the thought, abandoned. And part of her is sorry that he understands the rest, of course, he asks. And that remainder, Matt, is glad that uh, he found her. I guess we can connect the dots that she feels abandoned on account that after her the loss of her mother, her father got rid of her, thereby abandoning her. Um, I mean, I'm terribly sympathetic to it. It's just, to me, it was a little like, I don't know why I feel like dad didn't love me anymore after dad got rid of me. Again, totally sympathetic to it. It was just a little... I don't know. It was, it was slightly heavy for me in terms of, gee whiz, I feel abandoned. Yes, because you were abandoned. Um, particularly without context of like, you know, dad was so overcome with grief. Like, in, in you know, you throw that one line in there. It's like, oh man, like that's that. Th- 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 these are feelings I can't quite understand. So I will, I will feel sympathy for all. Nope. It's exposition city here, man. I, th- I think they landed in Exposition City and are looking from Exposition City to <laughs> Anjo. <laughs> uh, regardless, at this point, Claire, asleep in the car, wakes up and asks Thank for a God. situation update. Here comes an adult to the kids' conversation. <laughs> um, she's told that the big building is where the heroin is made, but darned if they, they just can't find out more. Danny is ready for a ground attack, but Colleen has a better idea. Talk to that convenient homeless beggar. Cut to Colleen talking to that convenient homeless beggar who may or may not be blind, depending yeah, on his the, performance. The scarring on the people's faces here. We, we've dealt with the, the blind couriers in New York. And I was wondering, are, are we going to repeat that motif here later when we have uh, Joe Chang? Uh, he's scarred on the one side of his face. So I was trying to figure out, is this ritualistic? Is this just people living rough lives? Never made clear. Um, the homeless beggar who was not always a homeless beggar, Matt speaks English, uh, having gotten a little money in his bowl there. Um, and he says that, uh, only a, uh, the, the, what is it? The, uh, the only fool bigger, uh, is one that seeks, information about that which is the fool willing to provide it thank goodness he shared that convenient information pete back in new york joy is walking her dog ward runs into her he says they could have had what they wanted and anticipates joy's move use danny as the corporate crusader and paint the meachams of having been ousted uh, for siding with the man who wanted to stop poisoning them was that her dumb play no, Pete, it turns out that Marvel, continuing its uh, celebration of uh, smart women, albeit here she's smart with a little, little, little dirty play, but that's okay. She shows him pictures on the phone, Lawrence arrested, other board members trolling for ladies of the night. Half the board is either screwing the company 
or somebody who isn't their spouse. And then Pete, the highlight of the episode for me, where did Joy get these pictures? A private investigator who was good, went sober. Jessica Jones, y'all. Worth every penny when she's sober. And we should point out today, Matt, that on uh, April 3rd, Monday, April 3rd, 2017, as we are recording, uh, Jessica Jones began shooting season two in New York City in two locations that uh, stand in for the outside of her apartment. So she's back. We know she's back in the Defenders. Um, and yeah. Uh, this, this only bodes well, but, uh, it, it's been a while feels like, well, she's the one we have definitely not seen in the longest. We had daredevil season two and, and we had Luke cage. Um, but to, to throw this here, the, those pictures are, yes, they're shared on a phone. Okay. But they're awful. Um, how about the, the stock photo of the guy in a white, Terry cloth, Terry cloth, uh, bathrobe hugging someone. Obviously that's an affair, Matt. Pete, I know anytime I put on my white Terry cloth bathrobe and hug somebody, <laughs> I'm clearly up to no good. Probably because, because I'm not that's wearing adultery. Pants. <laughs> <laughs> uh. They, they, they should just be called, you know, a, a, adultery jackets, <laughs> adultery robes. Joy explains that she had the dirt file ready in case there ever was a problem, although she thought the problem would be uh, Ward's tightly wound personality and extra back pills. Joy is heartfelt here. She says that she doesn't know her brother anymore. They don't talk about their lives outside work anymore. Where did that wall come from? Did she do something wrong? Pete, they're teary-eyed. I got a lump in my throat watching it. This is a far cry from the, uh, you know, sibling foundation that these characters are based on if you know what i mean wink um these are actual human beings who care for each other and the rawness continues as ward won't tell her why the wall went up tell her the dad was still alive joy adds despite all this that ward is the person she admires most in the world his leadership his initiative his boldness ah it's it's heart-wrenching pete it's a really good scene and i'm surprised how much the Meachams have grown on me from the beginning of this series, but she's completely right. They have never, ever talked about anything personal on this show. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like they couldn't have said, I'm going to go out with uh, Johnny tonight. Oh, Johnny from downstairs. Yes. Johnny from downstairs. Like they have no lives. And I'm sure 95% of that is completely intentional. They are workaholics who their inheritance wasn't, was tied by their father who joy thinks is dead to taking over this country or country. Maybe, maybe even the country. (laughs) That was, that wasn't a Freudian slip at all. Um, I'm sorry. The company, the company. Um, but if you could run the country like a company though, Pete, (laughs) wouldn't it be run like Rand enterprises? No comment. Um, you know, he wants to know, are you my sister or my HR rep? And it's really, really, it's effective. It, it is not talking for the, the umpteenth time about mom getting sucked out of (laughs) of the jet. Um, and kind of sad that we embrace this in this way it it's it's flipped matt i i think 
you know, because of the way Danny acts in this episode, we're far less sympathetic to him than what these billionaires are going through to try to get their stake in the company back. Well, it's interesting that you frame it like that, and you're absolutely correct. In this episode, we are able to relate more to the billionaire Brat Packers with with this giant inheritance and the possibility at $200 million total severance. We're more sympathetic with them because of their interpersonal relationship, which is relatable, not being able to connect with someone, not being able to connect with someone you love and so forth. That is more relatable than the tempestuous bratty Danny saying, I have superpowers. Let me just go in there and ninja fight everyone without a plan, particularly since he barely made it out of the last one of those, which was an episode or two ago. Um, and to, to keep it on board for a moment, he says that all of these great ideas uh, about his uh, his his leadership, his initiative, his boldness. Um, he, he implies anyway that all of this Ward image is a lie. And he pauses and he breathes, Pete. He pauses in a place where an editor could cut away, where some actors wouldn't pause just so they can keep the, 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 the performance whole. But Tom Fel Pelfrey trusts in the performance enough to take his time and she says that she deserves to know everything, which had me saying, wait, everything? That's going to be a lot. So, Pete, do we stay with the scene? No, we got to go back to Anjo, where Colleen explains that she has learned from the homeless beggar that uh, Gao is keeping people enslaved, that um, they have to do something, that they're just about to leave for their evening meal around now. And uh, they're going to wait till it's empty. They're going to sneak in and burn it to the ground. Claire at this point suggests that maybe she should hang back from the frontward attack. Colleen gets her sword and uh, gee whiz, knocks Claire's phone in between the seats. It's Chekhov's cell phone. Can't wait to see when that pays off. Um, we do get some sweet jumping moves as Danny and Colleen hop the fence. Uh, then the guard gets distracted by a rock so Colleen can take him out sweet guard uniform by the way pete a mix of kind of the the chinese traditional style and workman overalls uh with that our our heroes are inside the warehouse and colleen notes that the heroin symbol uh, is like that on danny's uh, chest thanks for the recap i guess um i like the explanation though that it's a sacred symbol from uh Kunlun and that by gao putting it there she's giving them the finger Kun Lun, the finger, by putting it on her poison. Yes. Um, Danny is ready to burn the place down and reiterates that if Gao has anything to do with his parents' death, he's going to rip her apart, just in case you didn't get it from that earlier scene. Um, Colleen notes that this is an issue of control. Danny wants to be, uh, doesn't want to be out of control, but Colleen rather has embraced a lack of control. With that, Pete, we cut to Claire mumbling to herself that she could have had a great trip to China. It, you know, here she's gone and helped commit arson. Then she sees Gao entering the building, and she can't find her phone because, number one, who keeps their phone on the armrest and not in a place where it won't slip? And two, she hardly looks on both sides of the armrest, so she just honks the horn a lot, tipping off Danny and Colleen and Gao and Gao's hench people in general and one henchman in particular and the guard. 
with that, Claire starts the car, gives the finger to the guard, and drives off while Danny and Colleen hide. Not a lot of strength going on right here. Certainly not strength in writing. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Tancheron thing withstanding were like, all right, other than some jumpy stuff and taking out a guard where where's my action at in my action drama at this point um the the two of them danny and uh colleen hunkered down uh have a have a quick talk he kisses her um then they see a man with a cloth blindfold um sitting in front of a building there's a smokestack uh pumping ash into the air gao refers to him as uh, joe cheng tells him to wake up open the door he has a jug in his hand he's sitting next to several jugs at this point we're not quite sure what to make of this um it's then that uh Colleen, having split up from Danny, sees a female guard and uh, she the female guard takes the cap off. They charge one another. They have a sword fight. She gets hit in the left arm. Colleen does. Sword gets knocked away. Claire drives through the gate, tosses the sword to Colleen, who then knocks out that female guard. Sigh, Pete. This continues an old tradition. Other Marvel shows have done this too. But why must Lady Guard fight Lady Colleen? I did wonder, maybe this is uh, Hennick's stunt double. You know, um, they have similar height and so forth. Maybe it's a couple extra bucks for the uh, the stunt double to be seen on screen as a, as a featured fighter. You know, if so, good on you. But why must girl fight girl? Particularly when it's Colleen Wing who can, you know, defeat most people. Um, regardless, the scene concludes with Claire bursting in, driving the car. Um, elsewhere, Danny wakes the bum who is Zhou Cheng, a disciple of the, uh, sworn defender of the hand. Pete, he's like an anti-Iron Fist. What would Master think of Zhou's drinking? Um, he would encourage it as this keeps his dragon at bay. Pete, this is like... The movie Drunken Master, 1978, starring Jackie Chan, which I had heard about and only recently saw. It is really, really funny and incredibly choreographed. And we get a we, we get a whiff of that in this scene with all due deference to Kevin Tantarowen, who I think here is uh, working in the shadow of, uh, of Drunken Master. I know the legend of Drunken Master is a thing. I've seen snippets here. And there, um, if people don't know that, I think it's very hard to take this character and this situation seriously, even in a comic booky show. Um, and again, I think you and I are more into this, and I, I think the the hardcore audience that watches this show is going to be more accepting of this, even though it's not a, a comic trope. Um, but it comes across a little funny, you know, he's got the, the British accent. Um, he's got the scar on his, on his left cheek there. Um, and uh, yeah, he fights with a jug in his hand and 
you know, swings it and throws it and okay, fights harder when he doesn't have the the sedation. I disagree. I loved everything about this fight. I thought it was excellent. It was effervescent. It was funny and flashy. Um, there's uh, there's a pause for Joe to call Danny's fighting style like a child's tantrum. Danny's response, a man fights with his mouth, mouth when his fists are lacking. Pete, is that a small hands joke? Should I, be, should I as an American be offended? Um, the fight heats up as does Joe's accent. I'm okay with what, what sounded to me like Northern English. Um, he compliments Danny as having a better haircut, but not necessarily a better fighter. And honestly, we see that too. Uh, Joe bettering Danny, bloodying him while Joe bobs and weaves. Uh, soon enough, though, he's thrown into uh, some convenient boards. That just came up. I wrote in my notes, laughable. And I, th- I have to think it's one of those those magical moments caught on camera. The way the board slowly falls over him probably was unplanned. Just looked wonderful. Uh, I love how Joe throws another bottle of booze at Danny, who catches it and then smashes it into Joe's head. Uh, this whole fight was just a ton of fun. Of course, ending with Danny throwing him through the door and proceeding to beat and beat. Maybe this part a little less fun. And beat and beat Joe it, until Colleen and Claire stop him. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. He says that you're not here to protect. You're here to punish. That you wear your oath like a mask. That this isn't honor. And he nearly beats the guy to death. Is he okay, Matt? He, I guess he's going to be okay. Does he look okay? Claire he says. does not look okay. <laughs> so yeah, pretty bad. Um, it's Danny that kind of needs to sedate the the dragon at this point. Um, we get uh, back in New York. We're with uh, Ward in uh, what we rapidly put together is the hallway outside of his father's penthouse. She doesn't know what the place is. Uh, he tells her that uh, he's he, he could have told her, but he's got to show her. And then blood starts to run out of the elevator door. Very Kubrickian. Um, I appreciate that this particular uh, particular corner of the the building and of the setup to get to the penthouse is not as familiar. Um, at first, I found it a little incongruous, but when they of course come out to the elevator lobby proper. Um, it's immediately clear where we are because of that iconic location. Joy, of course, sees no blood herself. Um, they're on the 50th floor. Ward continues to hallucinate blood coming out of the buttons in the elevator. And he's also clearly cooling off the plan to tell her about Harold. Uh, they end up on the street, and Ward says he doesn't want to be the successor to her daddy issues. You know, Pete, because somehow she's got these mild concerns on account of her father fighting cancer and dying in her, you know, it, it, when she was a, a child. That's daddy issues, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's less effective than obviously the last scene when we saw them. Uh, you know, he calls her cliche, pathetic. Um, she's, she's left there uh, waiting in the street. And then we're back in Anjou here. Um, Claire 
uh, asks, Danny thought he had it under control. He thought he did too, but Gao comes in and explains that anger is a gift, Mr. Ran. If you know how to control it, it would be her privilege to teach him. And then there are men with, uh, you know, hand, uh, handless. They, they're axes without, uh, proper handles. Shafts, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> um, that uh, they're they're ready to fight. Um, Danny does not want to hurt Gao. Just wants to know what happened between her and his father. Uh, there's a close up of his bloody hand from having uh, beaten the passed out Joe Chang, um, but uh, you know trying to shut this down here is not quite working out. Claire grabs the uh, claws off of the wall there and Gao spouts more nefarious nebulousness. A shot in the dark rarely finds its target. She tells them, submit and your friends will get a merciful death. Um, and Danny says that he will die before he allows them to touch his friends. Uh, she... Gao says she can't allow that just yet. Kill the women. Um, they fight there. Claire wants everybody to know that uh, she wished she never came to China with them. Danny stabs uh, one of the men with his own weapon. And Claire points out as he wigs out on the floor because he has the same black marks that uh, Beardo uh, has that the pilot did that, uh, this is poison that they poison their weapons. Gao used the same poison, Matt, on the pilots who miraculously, uh, piloted the plane that broke up into a million pieces yet landed in one piece because they didn't get dragged with the chair or the other parts of the cockpit. <laughs> no, they just fell to, uh, earth or heaven or wherever the heck they fell. And uh, she killed the parents. His hand glows. He does a spinning punch towards the defenseless Gao that his hand winds up right next to after the door splinters everywhere. He turns her around and marches her out. And Claire and Colleen follow to end the episode. Sparring partners, let's take a look at who Danny faced off against in this episode. We'll begin, Matt, with Lawrence. Lawrence, nice uh, performance here from the actor. It is a smaller part, but one delivered with glee. Uh, we somehow can instantly dislike him. Uh, he's been the guy who's like, what? What do you mean stop the cancer cluster? Uh, is that fiscally responsible? Uh, also having all but certainly taken over Danny's office. So uh, there's a zest and a zeal which with, with which he likes to play this game, this game of boardroom thrones, Pete. Pete, we've talked about Joe Chang a little bit so far. Your thoughts on him as one of the baddies in this episode? I admire the attempt to bring a character of this lineage and style of fighting in, I just didn't think it was as um, effective when I watched this episode the first time it was early on in the morning, having uh, picked up after 
watching the first six from the press preview and I was a little bleary eyed and I was kind of like, wait, they're doing this type of character. Okay. I, I get the reference. I, I give the guy a lot of credit. I give them credit again for the attempt. I just don't think it, it, it lands like, I don't know, Jackie Chan. Well, you mentioned a type of character. We have that in the sword wielding uh, security gal who uh, is the equal to Colleen Wing in every way, except she loses the fight. Uh, you heard my thoughts earlier, Pete. What say you? I really dug the sword fighting. I thought that's where Tancheron gave us far more than we could have expected. I know you were on it about, okay, girls fight girls and guys fight guys and the guys fight is longer. And yes, it's absolutely true in terms of what happens in this episode. But for my money, it's the better fight. And the way that uh, Colleen ends it, so that, that Claire bail, bails her out, flips her the sword that she knocks this lady out, uh, I, I thought was particularly effective rather than guy who can do iron fist doesn't do iron fist and knocks guy into uh wall and then through door and then beats to bloody pulp. Pete, we conclude our review of villains here with Madame Gao seemingly ending the episode as, uh, as caught and uh, backed into a corner is this curtains for gal she's never what she seems and that she she's got the the crackerjack uh wisdom there you know surrender I'll, I'll i'll let your your friends die mercifully uh that i'm not done with you yet and he shows off the power of the iron fist which she's seen she's seen several times before from others never from danny uh with the iron fist just yet um so yeah i mean what more can you say about what madame gao brings as a as a big bad in a way that um you know fisk or any of the others that we've seen in the in the new york defenders series uh has to this point she's you know the 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 anti-yoda well, I can say a little bit more, but I'll tell you on the other side of the theory segment. Ooh. Time to focus our chi and look inside this episode. Pete, we have in this episode what appear to be increasingly disparate threads of storyline. The Rant Enterprises uh, portion of the story now has jettisoned Danny and Ward and Joy. Uh, meanwhile, New York no longer has the Iron Fist, who has now gone to China and has presumably caught Madame Gao. Madame Gao, my theory is, next episode will serve as the glue, despite the difficulties of hanging, ha handing her over to uh, either Chinese authorities or Interpol. Something tells me we're going back to NYC, where she can be handed in and, well, quite frankly, for the remaining five episodes we can um we can bring together the overall story here uh back to new york and back you know with these part parts which are apart bring them together what are your thoughts pete well if you're trying to beat me to uh tell you what's coming next i'm not gonna bite matt um i find it 
interesting that Gao's now in Danny's hands when it feels to, I think, the viewer increasingly like she's upping her game with what's going on in Rand getting rid of the Meachams and Danny and consolidating power. We know she needs the distribution and the infrastructure. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes on there. How about Matt, the inclusion of uh, Jessica Jones finally in this episode um, and linked here to another strong woman in enjoy Meacham. Um, what do you, what do you make of the connection there and, uh, joy reaching out to get, uh, old Jessica Jones involved? I think at, at, uh, the very least it is a fun little story flair. It's an opportunity to, uh, to make a connection where one does not need to be seen. Uh, I would love it if schedule and probably cost permitted, you know, the, the briefest of scenes, you know, newly shot for this to have, uh, you know, whether it's Karen Page or Jessica Jones appear probably also would slightly destabilize the, the home base for this show, which is the Iron Fist storyline and the Iron Fist cast. But um, great, great, great to have some Jessica Jones uh, reference there. She remains my favorite Marvel Netflix character, maybe my favorite Marvel mcu character i'd have to think about that one but um a little extra jessica jones is always a good thing let's look at some messages from the mystical city of kunlun matt into the fantastic geek facebook page Robert T. Frost writes in, Greetings, Matt and Pete. I'm playing catch up with some comments for the last few episodes. My apology for not being more contemporaneous. First off, I'm glad that Danny finally found his adversary in the hand by episode 104 as his grand purpose of my name, my daddy's company, and I want my billion dollars seemed to me to be a poor motivation for a superhero, even if he's a street level one. One of my favorite scenes is in episode 103 when Danny chastises the students. This scene felt true to his character, one of utmost respect for the dojo and their sensei as he has been taught. None of the political correctness the rest of the world is burdened with. I have read and heard much criticism about how wrong it was of the show to have Danny call students of color chattering monkeys. The show is being true to Danny's character and this experience, and I found no disrespect or racism in this. I applaud the show for daring to venture into these dangerous waters, glorified, horrified reactions and tender feelings. Be damned. Pick up your free coloring book on the way out. I have to agree with your call of story baloney in the hospital records area. I have worked in hospital security and you would not find containers of alcohol in the records area, <laughs> let alone ones of the gallon size. Furthermore, <laughs> most oxygen is piped into the areas where it is needed. And while there is certainly a need for portable oxygen tanks, the one on the show seemed more like found in a welding shop than a hospital. But I could be wrong. 
As for the records themselves, wouldn't the hospital have transferred into a digital format, kept on a secure server, or several most likely off-site? The physical copies of the records would most certainly be in an off-site storage company, especially ones from 15-plus years ago, if not already shredded. As for your question about manufacturing a synthetical, synthetic illegal drug, the simple Ooh. answer is yes, it is illegal. Under the Title 21 United States Code Controlled Substance Act, Section 841, a, unlawful acts except as authorized by this subchapter, it shall be unlawful for any person knowingly or intentionally to manufacture, distribute, or dispense, or possess with intent to manufacture, distribute, or dispense a controlled substance, or all caps here, to create, distribute, or dispense, or possess with intent to distribute, or dispense, a counterfeit substance. Apologies for the long response, and please keep up the excellence in podcasting. Your friend, Bob. Always great to hear from Bob. He always brings such insight. Pete, he 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 has insight into every nook and cranny of of law enforcement. It seems it really is it really is wonderful to have that insight there. A into kind of hospital security slash record keeping, which I think. Uh, I think intuitively we, we knew that before the confirmation, but the confirmation is great. Um, similarly, I mean, look, Bob is a wonderful guy. Surely there must be somebody like Bob in within proximity to the writer's room, whether it's a, a contact or call the NYPD press office or, you know, the brother, the sister uh, of someone on the writing staff to to find out that there's this thing, I would have preferred you know, this thing, maybe I should be more specific, to find out that there is a place in the law that says if you make drugs that we haven't defined yet and you sell them as drugs, you can't, which makes sense, separate of the whole, you know, war on drugs issue. It makes sense to say, hey, things we don't know about yet don't automatically become legal or don't preemptively become legal uh, without a, a, you know, FDA to to screen it. Um, it makes sense. And I kind of wonder why the show didn't address that. If they threw in one line that said, uh, this somehow could make it past, what was it, Pete? T title 21? Yes. Yeah. This could even defeat the title 21 statute. That might not literally be the case once you go and read the statute. But if you at least throw that out there, you go, well, I don't know what that means, but I guess with the right lawyers, like at least it's enough to say, we know this is incongruous, but it can it can wind its way around the incongruity. Then you go, whoa, then it's really super powerful as opposed to nobody's ever heard of synthetic heroin. So I don't know. Kindergarten classes must be legal. Um, so anyhow, thank you, Bob, for that insightful take and for that, uh, that visit from the truth monster, which sometimes people <laughs> on writing staffs hate to see. Yes. Thank you, Robert, as always. And you can be in touch with us uh on facebook get on that get in on the contest you don't have to comment you can certainly lurk but it's just another way to be involved indeed pete the most involved the wind beneath our wings the anti-lawrences to us are of course our patrons on patreon.com maybe you give at the lawrence level maybe you give at the take at the lawrence level baby <laughs> he's, he's all about the take <laughs> 
This is true. But regardless, for uh, for whatever level you you can give and do give, it is so much appreciated because it comes from the heart. Absolutely. We have so many uh, patrons who are so generous, uh, particularly Mary Kirk at the level that she donates at. Uh, we, we try to make it as worthwhile as we can for you for helping us out. There's all sorts of perks. You don't have to choose one. Uh, but certainly uh, everybody gets access to uh, exclusive podcast content via the Patreon page. So get yourself to patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek. Take a look-see. Maybe there's something for you. Something there for everyone is always talking to you on Twitter. Pete, how can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 9,137 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can meet up to the podcast 24-7, 365, even if it's noon in both New York and various areas of China at the same time, as shown in this episode. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H. FantasticGeek.com, FantasticGeek at gmail.com, FantasticGeek on Twitter and Instagram as well. Wait, Pete, how did Robert Frost get in touch with us with all that that legal code and such on facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today keep those those likes are coming we will be back this wednesday on the pop culture podcast feed talking agents of shield uh, also hitting the agents of shield feed with that episode if you're listening to us iron fist only we'll be back this friday to do episode 109 as we continue to race through this first season of Iron Fist. With that, Pete, I will say goodbye to all our listeners and give you the final word. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind.